The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I'm Rick Welch. To my left is Ralph Hicks is back. He's back. Oh, and he says nothing. (laughs) Just kidding. He's not back. He's still in California. (laughs) He nodded. (laughs) That's good podcasting. And across from me in his Got Wood shirt, Mr. Billy Kimsey. Slick Billy. (laughs) (laughs) And behind the glass is Andy Bishop of Giraffe Studio. Still here. That's right. So present and accounted for. Yeah. Glad you're back, Ralph. We have been talking about the resurrection, and uh, surprisingly, Jesus has not returned, Billy, so you were wrong. <laughs> I was wrong, yeah. <laughs> were, yep, I was, but I still haven't finished it yet, so <laughs> yeah, theoretically, so, you're not wrong okay, yet. Okay. So. <laughs> we don't have Cherry Lewis with us. She is in uh, the, on the Fort Hall Reservation in Idaho, uh, doing a vacation Bible school with the children on the reservation, and uh, she's had... Uh, I think she's done this about four or five years, and I know that she'll have a lot to talk about when she comes back. It's That's a, really cool. I yeah. bet it's fun. Yeah. Yeah, she says it's very sad for her. It's hard for her to oh, see. You know, yeah. they have, you know, little kids bringing kids, you know. Oh, wow. The, the, the parents. There's a lot of alcoholism, you know, on the reservations. And to me, it's like I understand it. I really do. Like, I mean, they have a tough, tough time. Yeah, so. the escapism, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I sure do. I see that, but on our last, uh, on the last resurrection podcast, we went through uh, the KKK. It's older and newer version, and I found some interesting stuff. And uh, this week, I'm just going to touch on the Black Lives Matter just for a little bit, just to sort of bring you up to date with where we are. Uh, the sudden the Southern Christian Leadership Conference is still in existence; it's still working even to this day, and the KKK is not. That's what I found very interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I I mean, it is, but it isn't. So, I found this article uh, on magnumphotos.com in their newsroom, and it says, The modern Ku Klux Klan, Peter Van Achtmael, offers a glimpse into the secretive world of America's modern-day KKK. So, I'll just read this really quick. In 2015, Peter Van Achtmael traveled to Tennessee and Maryland, (laughs) just our next-door neighbor here, to uh, document Ku Klux Klan meetings and rituals, including a wedding and cross-lighting forever identified with the terror tactics of the KKK. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, as of 2015, there were 190 KKK groups in the U.S. with their combined membership numbering between, get ready folks, 5,000 and 8,000 in comparison to the 5 million yeah. that yeah, happened wow. after the birth of a nation and you know with that change that happened at the turn of the century you know so yeah uh, they're I, I would say they're defunct they yeah i think it's sort of splintered into a bunch of similarly aligned but differently named groups probably less centralization overall because of that you mm-hmm. know 
So uh, unfortunately, I, I would I would guess the numbers are similar depending on what groups you count, though. Yeah, sure. Now, now what, what does it mean like between five and eight thousand? That's a pretty, pretty That's big, a, yeah, big span there. You have some that kind of drop out, or you know, oh, no, not uh, not today. I'm not. I'm yeah. not a member today. <laughs> they failed question number seven and eight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're like, I don't even know what the Federalist Army is, man. <laughs> Sorry, I left my robe at the house. It's in the wash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My robe. Yeah. I, I heard they're having a linen sale yeah. down there at J.C. Penney. I shrank on, so put it in yeah. the dryer. It hit the ground, we had to burn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So I wanted to touch on... That So the KKK is pretty much now defunct. Yes, there are plenty of white supremacist groups uh, that are out there, but they're not necessarily, from our point of view, using Christian philosophy. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I think that's where, I, that's where I'm coming from, is that the Ku Klux Klan, at the turn of the century in 1915 and, and on, they were using the Southern Church as a platform. That's what they were doing. They were literally going to these churches, you know, and bringing on uh, all these members, and that's why it grew. And then, of course, the blockbuster hit, The Birth of a Nation. Uh, if you haven't seen it, don't. It's <laughs> it's not worth watching, honestly. But if you want to learn, you know, if you want to learn from a historical point of view, then yeah, watch it and see what— it's awful. It's terrible. Um, so the Black Lives Matter, which is another group uh, currently that is uh, pretty much in— the news daily, you know. Um, I'm not looking at this as a negative. I'm just saying that they are not, we're not coming from a Christian perspective on this one either. This is a, a very large movement. It, it has more cloud. It seems to be moving further and faster than the Southern Leadership Conference, unlike the way that it was in the 50s and 60s. And so I'm going to read the manifesto uh, of the Black Lives Matter, and then I just want to discuss really, really quick what I see as a problem with that manifesto, not not from a racist point of view, but just from a Christian point of view, and why I wanted to, to explain from our, from where I'm coming from, why there's a problem and maybe how we can overcome it. I don't know, but I'm just going to read it regardless. Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013 in response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murderer. I imagine you all remember that, that young man down in Florida. Yes. That it was the neighborhood watch guy that, uh, that shot him, and then he ended up being acquitted. That guy can't stay out of the news. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, so. he can't. Every yeah. other year, that guy's in the news for something. Absolutely, yeah. Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation Incorporated is a global organization in the United States, the UK, and Canada whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. By combating and countering acts of violence— creating space for black imagination and innovation, and centering black joy, we are winning immediate improvements in our lives. We are expansive. We are a collective of liberators who believe in an inclusive and spacious movement. We also believe that in order to win and bring as many people with us along the way, we must move beyond the narrow nationalism that is all too prevalent in black communities. We must ensure we are building a movement that brings all of us to the front. We affirm the lives of black queer and trans folks, disabled folks, undocumented folks, folks with records, women, and all black lives along the gender spectrum. Our network centers those who have been marginalized with black liberation movements. We are working for a world where black lives are no longer systematically targeted for demise. We affirm our humanity 
our contributions to this society, and our resilience in the face of deadly oppression. The call for black lives to matter is a rallying cry for all black lives striving for liberation. So that, if you want to read that, you can go to the blacklivesmatter.com page, click on the about section, and then you can read that manifesto. So as I was reading it, and this is probably a little bit charged here by me asking this question, but can you understand what is wrong with that manifesto in regard to Christianity? Can anybody see it? No. I, d- I didn't catch it. Did anything come out in your mind, Billy? Yeah. Uh, I'd have to go back and read it again, though. Yeah. Um, you, Ralph? Well, it, it just sounded like it was more about equality than it had anything to do with God or grace. The minute they talked about black queer, transgender, and the other things, as soon as they brought that into the mix. that's It's entertaining to me that that just flew over all of our heads. Just yeah. like that didn't even like pip. That it, didn't even pip anybody. Right. But it does a predominant amount of Christian people in our nation. Sure, that's true. That yeah. That's where it's at. And I think that that being in their manifesto, because I think there would be a lot of Christians, black or white, that would actually get involved. And there are plenty of people that are involved. And I have no problem with the movement I, at all. Like, I'm, I'm all about people that are trying to protect themselves, that are rallying together, that are saying, okay, look, we're tired of police brutality. I totally get it. But in order to get everyone behind you, maybe they don't want the Christians behind them, you know? I mean, maybe they don't. I mean, look at the history. It's, it's kind of a dark history. But all I'm trying to say is that a lot of these groups that back in the turn of the century, they were using the Christian scriptures as sort of their background of where they were coming from. These groups that are out today, none of them are using it. None of them are. And so I don't know if, I don't know if that's just a shift in our culture. I'm not really sure what's going on. But anyway, I, I just wanted to bring that out. To me, I have no problem with them wanting to protect black queer or transgender or anyone um, – they said other things too, of course. They said, you know, basically anyone who's disenfranchised in our country that happens to be black, they're standing behind. I don't have a problem with that, you know. However, there there does seem to be this shifting change. Calling the white man the one in power today isn't necessarily true. That is not necessarily true anymore. I think we are a more diverse culture than we've ever been. I definitely see that there are violent, that there, especially with police brutality, which isn't really in the news as much today, like this day, in the quick age of Twitter and the how, you know, we haven't really heard of anything lately. Breonna Taylor yeah. and George Floyd, obviously those are the most recent, you know, things that have happened. Yeah, the, the, big, the big ones, certainly. Right, but the percentages are way down from where they were in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, as, as much as I agree that, Oh Lord, there's a lot of work to be done, and I don't agree that white people don't still just rule this nation because statistically we do. But uh, but absolutely, that is the truth of the matter. The violence is actually far less than it's ever been, and that's not any sort of reason to hand wave that which does obviously exist. But still, that's super true. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, and especially in the South because that's where it was predominant. You know, in the Northeast and in the and in, in the Far West. I mean, you go west, especially Southwest. I mean, there's that's a melting pot like New York City. Uh, but in the South, it was it was really bad, especially you know Ku Klux Klan and everybody. They were all active back then. Mm-hmm. So what you'll hear, you've heard of the Blue Lives Matter movement as well. Have you heard of this? Yeah, mm-hmm. obviously. Okay, so that actually seems to be where the Christian 
is. That seems to be where they are. They're trying to say, okay, not all police are bad people. Not all police are coming after your kids and going to murder them. So they stand with them. We I've seen even in the churches that I've been involved in where they would bring police officers in and they would give them a standing you know, ovation and say, look, we understand that you're standing on the front line. You're doing a job that I don't want to do. And we don't want you to think that we hate you. We understand that there's a lot going on. It's a bad time to be a police officer right now, they say. But that seems to be where Christianity Accountability's is Accountability's a bitch. It, absolutely. And here's the thing. We have to look at, at the underlying problem. Poverty creates a lot of issue. When you start thinking about crime, so if you start, I am a black man, I am trying to get a job, I am not getting a job because I am a black man, therefore I can't support my family, therefore I am, I feel like I'm inadequate, and so I leave my family. Now, all of a sudden, you have a mother that's raising their children without a father. Right or wrong, you know, in my opinion, I see how this happens over and over and over, and I've, I've been observing it myself. I see it even today. So then if you have children that are raised without a father, some people would argue, oh, you don't need a father. Well, maybe not, but uh, I, have, I have a tendency to feel like having a you know, a male figure in your life can certainly make you a better male adult later if you understand how men work. Men are different from women. Let's just be honest. They are. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with the fact that we all have these differences. The The only point on this podcast that I'm trying to bring out is that Christ was always going after the people that were suffering. He always went to the people that were sick. He went to the people that needed, you know, that needed him, that needed help. If we recognize a problem, then we need to take a stand and try to help. We need to know what that problem is and try to help. So how do we do it? But at one point, do they help themselves? Well, see, you— It's just, a question that, that leads, leads with the assumption that they're not and have not, and probably not a good place from which to start a conversation. Yeah, exactly. That It comes from that. Do they help themselves? What if they're trying to help themselves and they can't? I mean, black people have been marginalized by the Jim Crow laws for how many years? 50, 60, 70 years? They're just now, they're talking about restitution today. And if you remember in my study on the Ku Klux Klan, they wanted restitution after the war when all that stuff was happening. They, you know, the white yeah, as a part people of wanted, the, that's yeah. right, they wanted restitution. So, is it right or is it wrong? Well, if you look at the, the fact that they've been marginalized all these years, the fact that a lot of them turned to crime, but we also created the laws that would put them behind bars, and that's why it's predominantly black people that are in prisons. Just watch the 13th. Have you ever seen that documentary? No. Oh, it's shocking. Just the way that the laws are set up, and how it's just it's a shocking documentary. Anyhow, I wanted to finish that thought because I was sort of carrying us on this arc, and I want— how does this fit with the resurrection? Like, How in the world did I get on this gigantic thing about the resurrection? All of us who are believers that in Jesus, we believe that he, was a resur- that he was resurrected from the dead. And because of that, it sets us apart, and we are the Christian belief. Like, that's our belief. And we, that's our platform that we come from. Everything stems from the resurrection. But if you look at what the resurrection actually is, there is absolutely no room for racism. There's no room for communism. There's no room for any of it. It truthfully is the only thing that truly should set us apart from anybody else is that we love beyond our capability. That's it. 
We should love beyond our capability. Do you agree? Oh, I thought it was that we were Christians. What do you mean? I mean, that's a reasonable thing to think. Well, I, I, that's where I thought no, he was no. going. Yeah, I, I, yeah I did we're too. all just Christians. No, but that exactly. seemed like I would also be a reasonable point. I think, I, I think, think he means that we as are Christians. Christians. Yeah. As Christians, we shouldn't be biased or prejudiced against anyone or anything. We should say we are Christians. Now, we believe that it, there is a prejudice in saying that if you are not a Christian, you do not believe in Jesus Christ, that you're not going to heaven. That is. Depending right. on how you define it, sure. Exactly. So that's that is our belief. But as Christians, we should not be prejudiced against any race or any. Jesus wasn't. Jesus went into all of those places. He talked with all those are the people that he went to. He didn't. He wasn't in the church. Those people were believers of something. You know, he wouldn't. If he were here today, he wouldn't be in the churches preaching to people in the churches. They're supposed to be believers. He'd be saying, "Why aren't you out there with me, going to the people that aren't?" Sure, um, that seemed yeah, that seemed more his mission, at, right. at least in my incredibly limited. Knowledge. And he brought everybody, and he wasn't prejudiced against anyone. So as Christians, we shouldn't be prejudiced against any group. Mm-hmm. Oddly, I think you two said the same thing. It's just Rick did kind of an end run around the Christianity to the what he believes should be the results of believing Christianity. Yes. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's just he kind of. I didn't finalize my thought. I just yeah, I missed it. I missed the boat there. <laughs> Sorry, but it, basically what I'm trying to say is the only thing that should set a Christian apart truthfully, yes, they believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, they believe all of those things that he was, you know, that he died, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected. Those are the three main points of the belief system, but that what he taught was love. He taught to love your enemies. He taught to pray for those that use you. That I'm so glad that you said that because I have to say something. I've been a member of a lot of different churches. I come from the Catholic Church. And you know my biggest problem with most pastors in this country is they're prejudiced and they don't teach love. And the reason why, and I don't care for him as a pastor because I don't think he's a pastor. I think he's a motivational speaker. But the, the reason people like Joel Osteen is because all he preaches is love. Mm-hmm. And he's not into hypocrisy or any of that other stuff. Yeah, yeah. If you're, if that's the message you'd rather hear, and it's a nicer message to hear, and and a good message, Joel Osteen, a lot of things about him aside, it's not a, it's not a bad message. You know? No, no, it, it's it's not. I, I, you go into churches today, especially Baptist churches, and I say especially Baptist churches because I believe it's true. Um, they're very prejudiced. We don't want queers in our. Well, why don't you? How, how are you going to convert them if you don't bring them in? You know, yeah, we yeah, don't, it doesn't seem very. I, I, you, you got people cheating on their taxes. Got people cheating on their wives. You got all kinds of stuff going on that are already in your church. Why don't you want people here that really truly want to be here? People that are hurting that need to be here, and you know, quit trying to convert them and try to love them. I think that's a great point. That it's like, well, these other sins exist in the church, but this one we won't even let it in the door. Mm-hmm. But the other sins, the other sins are already there, and that one you won't even like. I don't know. Try I like. I believe you should just, if somebody's gay, let them be gay if they want. But but under the belief, like, you should be trying to help them, which, yeah, which is it's weird. The, yeah, it gets into weird stuff. stigmatizing them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because how are you going to convert someone if you're, you're always preaching down to them? You just say, hey, look, the, the Bible says this. The Bible says do not cheat, do not lie, do not steal, do not covet. Well, most of the people in the church do one of those. Sure, yeah. 
And none of the Ten Commandments says anything about being gay. Because human, right? It's no way to not. Right. You're going to do something. So you're, you're we, gonna mess up. all those, like you said, all those other things fly, but hey, you know, you can't be in our church. And so I think the churches are, are many of the churches and the pastors in the churches are prejudiced and they teach prejudice. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. And I think the news perpetuates it. I think that if we stop preaching it in the churches and we stop tell, telling it on the news, every turn, every time we say, the first black this did this, like it's a surprise that someone black did something first, you know? I mean, in their communities, if they want to talk about that, that's fine. But then let's not put it on the news and talk about it like it's just a surprise that some Korean woman did this or a black person did this. That's a that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I, I don't think you're wrong. I think, you, I think you're trying to hoe a very bumpy road with that argument. Well, but, we perpetuate it so much saying. that it becomes a, a big deal. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you agree, though? I mean, it's not like the white people did everything first. But oh, yeah, you know, no, obviously. We, if you yeah. believe in uh, what the, the, the scientists say, we weren't even first. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you know that a black man carried Jesus's cross for him? Did you know that? I did not I know that. I did not know that. That's cool. So his name is Simon of Cyrene, which is from Africa. And he was a black man that when Christ was carrying his cross and he could no longer bear it, under the weight and all the blood that he'd lost and everything, he had fallen underneath the cross and could no longer carry it. The Roman soldiers grabbed, it says, Simon of Cyrene and told him to carry his cross. So that black man buried his cross the rest of the way to get him up there so that he could die for the rest of us. And I always thought that it was interesting because uh, he'd had to have gotten Christ's blood on him. He had to have, his own sons were there. I know that. It says that in scriptures on one uh, in one of the scriptures that uh, Cyrene's sons were there. Not Cyrene, but Simon's sons were there. So they had to watch him uh, carry this you know, cross as they continue to whip Christ up through there. It's just, it's interesting. Well, now, I, I haven't seen The Passion of the Cross. Was that part in the movie? I have seen The Passion, but I don't remember that necessarily. Okay. I don't, I don't remember, remember that, that being in there, but it was, it's graphic. It, it'll gives you a new understanding of what Christ really went through. I cried through it. Mm-hmm. I was, I was, I was devastated by it because the brutality, and you know, to bring it right back around to, to Black Lives Matter, we have been brutal to many, many races, but none so much as the black race have we been so brutal. I mean, we have been prejudiced against many. And what I said earlier, what are they doing to bring themselves around? Because the Chinese came in and the Irish came in and they all did this. But none of them were subjected to what we've subjected the Indians and the black people to. Mm-hmm. The brutality uh, is... Un- it's, it's wild what people can be like to it, other it, people. Yeah. yeah, it's wild. It, it's, a, it's amazing to me the, the things that people do to other people. Yeah. It's very... Uh, Take it away, Rick. It's heart-wrenching. So here's a joke. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to the jokes yet. I've got one at the end. Don't let me forget, please. Into a bar. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> one? Just. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. Uh, priest walks into a bar and says, ah, that hurt my head. All right. So I'm going to carry us out of this. I've, we've, we've gone all the way up to the present time. And the next thing that I want to talk about really briefly is what you would consider intellectual 
versus simple-minded, okay? So there's a lot of people that believe this message from Scripture, and it is seen, it seems that the educated or the more intellectual see that as something as a weakness of a simple-minded person that would accept something on faith like this. Would you agree? Yes. Yes. Would you agree, Andy? I was chewing. (laughs) Did you hear what I said? No. It it seems that the intellectual or the more educated someone is, they would look down on somebody that believed something in faith and see them as more simple-minded. Something like the resurrection. Uh, I don't know. Uh, intelligence doesn't seem to be tied to faith. Uh, faith seems entirely about kind of like childhood teaching to me and, and not tied to intelligence. And some people that are smart look down on people of faith and uh, that's their problem, I suppose. But I, I don't think it makes you more likely to do that. I think your upbringing makes you more likely to look down like that on people for whatever you're doing it for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't. I don't necessarily agree. There's. There's always a. Uh, from from my recollection, any time a child that was raised in a church went off to college, by the time they would get back from their studies, what they had originally learned as a child in most cases, would have been eradicated, if not completely, but just by the university system that's in there out there today. I've witnessed it myself. I've seen it myself. The problem there probably lies with them being taught uh, falsehoods or maybe not falsehoods, but things that weren't completely true or things that lacked context or were just partial information in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like, how else, why else would you change your mind? Like, they're not all just idiots ripe for brainwashing. Yeah. Are they? Is that what you're saying? They're all just, I think, they're I, all I, just idiots ready to be brainwashed? Is that? It's, it's, it's mostly science that they teach, though. They don't, <laughs> yes. they don't teach faith. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. been, it's been written out of the laws of this country because of so many, well, I'm not going to say words. So, it's just been written out, and we've allowed it to be written out where you can't even talk about it in grade school. Kid, people lose their jobs for just comparing the Bible and creation. And, oh, you're out of here. Like, yeah. no, I'm teaching context here. You know, there are more ways yeah. of... You've, you've, I'm afraid I have a tenure for that. I don't care. Um, and I don't. I don't. It's you don't not, care about what? It's not important to me that people teach any sort of faith in school. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I mean, you guys know my position. I just, it's just not important to me. Right. It's, it's not... I don't necessarily want it eradicated from the face of the earth. I mean, but uh, but when you have children, strangers should not be allowed to teach them things like faith because I don't know. That's just not a stranger's place in a child's life. Yeah, and I you know totally disagree. I, I, yeah, and, and it's and it's because parents don't take the time. So if 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 you're if you're that good of a parent, you shouldn't worry about what somebody else is trying to teach your kid. No, because but most that's... people aren't parents, and most people don't. Most people that are parents don't spend time with their kids. And you need to teach. If, if you're going to teach them anything at all, you can't just teach them creationism. Because if you're teaching a creationism, and there is something else out there that most of the people in the world believe in, not just some, not just half, most of the people believe don't believe in creationism. 
So, and, and, the, and the numbers are staggeringly against the people that believe in creationism. It's just this country. So if you're not going to teach both, then you shouldn't teach either. That doesn't make any sense to me. It just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Which part? That you shouldn't teach either if you can't teach both. Because it's not even like, it's this weird, like, I think we've kind of touched on this before. It's this weird, like, dialectical way of thinking that gets run into a lot where it's like, it's A or B. And like, no, it's not. No, mm-hmm. it's not. The the whole thing is this like is like this nebulous ocean of information and and you know there's not two points there. There's a million points there. And some of them are faith-based and some of them are not. Mm-hmm. And I think you can draw if you want to draw an A and B, here I am doing exactly what but but there's there's a line you can draw between faith-based stuff and, and evidence-based stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that you can teach evidence-based things without teaching faith-based things. And, and they shouldn't be contradictory because faith. What about evidence-based things that grow your faith? I don't understand the context of that, so I'm not sure. We're going to be getting into it here in just a second, but one of the reasons why the Gospels were discounted as um, historically accurate was because they contained miracles— and because they contain miracles, the educated believe that it makes it unreliable. However, Dr. Craig Keener out of Duke University wrote a book called Miracles. It's a 1,200-page volume that goes around all continents on the earth and explains that miracles happen now, that they are fully documented, whether it's by doctors or scientists, Uh, or whatever may happen by eyewitnesses, things that are unusual, that they could be seen and are definitely, for instance, miraculous, that there is a woman who has been diagnosed with brain cancer, who has had numerous MRIs and scans in order that see the tumors that are in her body, that uh, it's inoperable, and so it's over for her. And she goes to her church, and she begs people to pray for her, and they do. And then one week later, she goes in for her final scan, and there is no cancer in her brain. All of this being documented by the doctors, and it was seen at Duke University. So that's kind of where it begins. It's like a jump-off point. So something happens in humanity. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know— I guess my point is is that if the evidence bears out that things like miraculous things would happen, it's sort of an anomaly that that would happen, but it does. Then if it does happen in our and it happens <laughs> thousands of times and it happens that it is a reality for all of us as humans that miracles do happen. And so if they do actually in fact happen, then that should not discredit ancient texts that talk about the same thing that we encounter today. I'd say that's not an unreasonable argument. Yeah, yeah, so that's not an unreasonable no, argument. No, I mean, sure. it, I thought it was a very smart argument, and it, but it doesn't look faith versus evidence. Okay, if I believe that God created the world and it's six literal days, twenty-four hour period, six literal days. That's just what I. If I say that's what I believe, I read that in the Bible. That's what I believe, and I have a university that says that's not how it happened. It it's thirteen point eight billion years old. Uh, it began at the Big Bang, and this is, you know, this is all information. And let's keep in mind, this is theoretical information. No one really understands how the universe was created. 
nor do we know how it's going to end. We know that it's growing. We know that it's actually speed. Isn't it? No, it's slowing down. The growth of the universe is finally slowing down. It was speeding up. Now it's slowing down. So, I think that may be one of the things they changed their mind about in the last it's, decade. It's back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. You <laughs> changed their mind about a lot of stuff, <laughs> which is why I don't have a problem teaching faith. And I think the reason for I mean, why do we even have schools? I mean, seriously, for, for thousands and thousands of years, we didn't have schools. Parents taught their kids what they needed to learn about hunting and gathering and cooking and cleaning and loving each other. And they didn't. there wasn't a need for school. But now we have schools and schools are to teach people how to do things to, to get along in society and to make money and to provide for their family or to, to get things to provide for their family. But if you're going to teach people how to get along with people, you've got to teach them the things that uh, you know, there are a lot of people that have a lot of different beliefs. So, in, the other, from, in order for me to get along with you, and you, uh, if you're an atheist and you're a Hindu and you're a Buddhist and I'm a Christian, uh, I need to know a little bit about uh, all of you so that I have a better understanding, so I can accept you for who you are. And I think that's part of what our education system tries to do. But I think excluding things like Christianity uh, and that from our school system is, does a disservice to society as a whole. It- it might. The problem is that children are just susceptible to magical thinking and not particularly good at reasoning. Yeah, but some of them, a, a lot of the stuff that's supposedly scientific is magical thinking, too, because so many things have been disproven over the years that well, you can't yeah, rely on that, any of it. That, I mean, <sighs> like thalidomide that, that babies. Is, have you ever seen those pictures? Oh, they're awful. Take thalidomide, and then they have these kids with flippers. Well, it, yeah. it used to be that we thought that the the everything revolved around the Earth, and then we found out that uh, it was the sun. So we don't even know what we know. That wasn't science. That was the church, and they were murdering the scientists. So that's kind of a that's backwards. That, was, that, that yeah. works against you, Ralph. <laughs> in, in the beginning, it wasn't the church. It, 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 no, it, it was, was the a church. Combination that, of the that. church believed that everything revolved around the Earth in the very beginning. And when Aristotle came out, they were like. It, it, wasn't, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't just the church in the beginning that thought that. It was, <laughs> or it Galileo was, Galilei. I mean, it, yeah, I think he's the one that— It yeah. was the scientists that started to come to the belief that, the, that, it, that it was the other way. But in the beginning, people thought the earth was flat, and they thought that the, yeah, that's the just, earth was the, the everything revolved around the yeah, earth. I said, that's observational. I said that right? in our last sure. podcast. I was like, in 1492, Columbus thought the world was flat. And it's like, actually, there's people that today that believe the world <laughs> is flat. <laughs> the flat earth. Theorists are, it's insane. There's actually documentaries on Netflix, and I found out that the guy, <laughs> these guys are making millions of dollars, man, just telling people that the wow, world is flat. Really? Yeah, it's probably, it's probably all sales, a con. <laughs> Snake so like, oil like sales, Alex yep. Jones and, and oh, InfoWars. That, that guy didn't believe 80% of what he said. He doesn't care. These no. guys are probably just like Take that. They're the laughing all the way to the bank. Right, yeah. They're laughing all yeah. the way to the bank. Yep. The love of money is the root of all evil. We talked about that in our last side study. Boy, is that true. I think that is when I was going to get into the intellectual side versus the simple-minded side, I think that sometimes it can be very advanced to think with faith. It, it, it takes a lot of research to learn this silliness that some people call it. And it's really interesting how the Bible actually says that preaching is considered foolish to those that are wise. Paul says it. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Paul said that by the foolishness of preaching is what God chose to spread the gospel of his son. That's what it says. So to think that the world would think it's anything other than foolishness would be a shock to me. But I've watched my own kids that have got some education and then suddenly come back and I'm like, 
are you sure that you're right? Because I have taught them differently. However, I want to ask them and engage them and like, give me your reasoning. Like, why do you believe the way that you believe? When I was a kid, uh, Don O'Reilly was really interested why I wanted to vote for George Bush Sr. And I said, because have you seen that Dukakis guy? His eyebrows are hideous. <laughs> you know, that was a kid's reasoning of why I didn't want to, you know, vote in Dukakis, yeah. you know. Yeah. I didn't know anything about policy. I just knew that George Sr. is one sexy dude, man. He is <laughs> a good looking man. A jet fighter pilot. A jet fighter and, pilot. Yeah. And apparently just a nice guy. Head, head of the CIA. Well, I mean, maybe not a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Personable thousand, is what I meant. points of light. Yeah. Thousand, yeah, that's right. Wouldn't be prudent at this juncture. <laughs> I love when Dana Carvey did his little bit. So, in the original, did you guys know what apologetics is? Have you have you ever heard this term, apologetics? I've heard it. Isn't it like C.S. Lewis, kind of the king of apologetics or something? He was definitely an apologist. He was an author, but he he used apologetics, which is basically it's the argument in the defense of your faith. And that's what apologetics okay. is. I don't know why they called it apologetics, because it sounds like we're awfully yeah. sorry for talking about it, but that's not what it means. It was a surprise for me, too. But it's basically the argument for your faith. That's really what it boils down to. And so, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity, and he breaks some things down. Josh McDowell, I think I've talked about his book, More Than a Carpenter. You know, there are other apologetics, like Ravi Zacharias. Of course, he had a massive fall from grace after his death. I don't know if you've heard of this. But he was a brilliant apologist uh, to where you can defend your faith. And so, one of the things that I enjoy, I like to go online and watch debates. I like to see, like, Muslims versus Christians and Jehovah's Witnesses versus uh, Baptists, and I like to watch— you know, atheists versus, you know, Christians. I like, to, I like to watch those debates and see where they're coming from. And there was an old mode of thinking, and that was maybe if we could say, you know, okay, these are the Gospels, and they say that they're unreliable sources because of miracles, and then they sort of discredit that, and then they say, well, uh, they're just copies of copies. We don't have any of the original, so we don't know if they've been changed. Okay, that's, that's all well and good. However, I learned that historically speaking, we all know that Alexander the Great conquered most of the world, most of the known world of his time, correct? We know that he was from Greece. But do you know when his name was recorded historically where we learned most of the things about Alexander the Great? I did a little bit of research. It says here, that he was alive in 330 BC, and that the known history written about him was by Plutarch 450 years after his death. 450 years. Now, there was a lot of oral tradition about him. There were a lot of things, that, little things that were written about him that were passed down from generation to generation to generation. Plutarch is the one who did his research and put it all together. Kind of compiled single, it. Yeah, into a single narrative. We know that some of it might be true, some of it may not be true. But 450 years. But we all agree that Alexander the Great existed based off of what Plutarch said, Okay. Um, in the Bible, Tiberius Caesar, who died in 37 BC, the earliest source that we have in regard to him is the historian Tacitus, who was a Roman historian, about 85 years after his death. That's when it was recorded. So that's, you know, that's a pretty new one. And as far as history is concerned, some of this information is hundreds and hundreds of years later before, you know, in order to give it legitimate historical value— 
they have to have one or two sources to make it a valuable document, something from history. That's that's what's known. But you've well, also got to have somebody that can weed through. I mean, the people who win the wars. Oh yeah, tell the history. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's the history through their eyes, and you have to dig through to find out what some of the yeah. real is. And do so we really much know of it some is of revisionist? It? Sure, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Exactly, which is what brings me to the New Testament, because when we argue about its validity. One of the reasons why I think it's so valid is because the resurrection accounts are so messed up. Have you noticed it? When you read the resurrection accounts, they don't agree. They're very bizarre. They One of them says one person was there, and the other one says two people were there, and then th- there's three women, and there was just one woman. It was before the sun rose. It was after the sun rose. Like To me, it's like that's a lot of documentation that requires a tremendous amount of effort to understand it. Have you read them side by side and really paid attention to notice how they are not synchronous? I don't know that I've read them side by side, but I have studied the different gospels against each other and who wrote what and why they wrote this instead of that and why they wrote that instead of this and some of the accounts, especially at the at at his death and resurrection and uh, the ascension and and they all wrote it from their point of view. Plus, also they were talking. To different people. So Matthew did most of his talking and trying to, he was more trying to talk to Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mark uh, spoke uh, mostly to the uneducated Greeks. Now, when I say Greek, um, something that, something I wanted to make a point about a long time ago, um, the predominant language at the time was Greece. So everybody, people were called Greeks, weren't necessarily from Greece. They were from all of the Palestine and all of the places around <laughs> that didn't speak Hebrew or or um, the other language that were uh, spoken at the time, and there weren't as many languages as there are now. Uh, and then John, or no, uh, Luke, who was uh, a doctor, he spoke and was usually um, either preaching or speaking to or, or teaching uh, the people that were intellectuals, uh, the, the intellectuals that spoke Greek, uh, whereas uh, John uh, was talking to Christians. So their language, the things that they talk about, the way they talked about it, the words that they use, the intonations, the inflections and stuff would have been different for everyone because they were trying to influence a different groups of people, each of them. And help me out, but wasn't Mark just a, a boy? Didn't he get most his he was a young man uh, uh, information from his mom about Jesus? Traditionally speaking, they think that Mark got his source was the Apostle Peter. Okay, okay. Which is why in Mark it says, go tell the disciples and Peter. So there's your revelation. Gotcha. The reason why is because Peter had run off. He, had, we, he was wept bitterly because he had um, defied Christ. He had denied him, denied him three yeah. times, denied him, and had run off. And so Mark supposedly is using Peter as the source of his gospel. That's what they believe. But in regard to what you were just saying, Ralph, Yes, I agree. They're all coming from different perspectives. That's one of the things we studied. We said, remember, Matthew's talking about him as Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Remember Mark, it's the son of God. Luke, we're talking about uh, the genealogy. We're talking about in uh, John, we talked about how he was the, he was God. It wasn't just the son of God. He was actually God. He was the son of God, but truly God, part of the Trinity. 
So each one of them had their own version, and that's all well and good, but whenever you put the accounts side by side, if an author decides to change the story, don't you think that it's not as valid? What makes it valid? If you have, if this is the Word of God, keep in mind, this is the Word of God that's being written here. So if Matthew says there was one angel sitting in the tomb, and then the other book says two angels were sitting in the tomb, it's easy, you know, there's a reason why there's differences in each one. But are you following what I'm saying? Why people have such a hard time with this? Yeah. Right. So taking something on faith is fine, but if all of the information doesn't add up, it makes it difficult to take it on faith. I think a lot of people struggle with it once they actually read it. But I, I think people struggle with just the, the fact of the resurrection. Not I, I don't. I think if you struggle with that, you're not going to dive as deep as you have and said— I don't think people, a lot of people probably don't know that there's four stories to the resurrection. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they get that far. They just say, I don't believe a man could die and then, and then rise three mm -hmm. days later. So I, I think you lose them there. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. I think if you can believe in the miracle of birth, and to me it's a miracle, it's not just egg splitting. Um, if you can believe in the miracle of birth, then anything could be a miracle. Yeah, we've. I don't know any. I don't think that there's anyone. I don't care how smart they think they are as a scientist. I don't think there's anyone that can explain the miracle of birth. How we we go from a sperm and an egg to let's double the cell and double the cell and double and 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 actually come up with a human being. That's. I think that's beyond all of us. And anyone that thinks that they understand it, I think they just think a little bit highly of themselves. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. We've we've been down this path before because I know how much you feel about you know how much you love birth and as far as and I agree with you in that regard there is there is a lot that we don't understand in regard to birth and that we take on faith you know I know several people that have children that are very ill right now and it's a scary feeling um, and I've I've seen people that have had children and I'm like wow <laughs> you know. They had children, you know, like, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have to be an, a scholar to have kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. But, you know, it's funny you said that a second ago, Billy. I had a conversation with my grandmother the other day. My grandmother's 83 years old. And she's been a Christian since she was, I think she said she was nine. And I had been asking her questions. One day I, she quoted John 3.16 to me. And I said, I said, Mamma, I said, whenever you say that, does it make you think about a snake on a pole? And she said, what? I don't want no snake. What are you talking about a snake on a pole? I said, Mamma, I said, does it make you think of a snake on a pole? And she was like, no. And I was like, well, you're quoting me John 3.16. Did you read the verses before it? And she says, well, I don't reckon I have. So she decided to go back and read it after I'd left. She went back and read it. And then I talked to her about, you know, the serpent that was lifted up on the pole in the wilderness. And if you looked at it, you remember we went through that here. We talked about that. My grandmother had never heard that. She's listening to preaching since she was nine. She's yeah. 83. And I asked her, I said, well, do you even read the Bible? Like, do you even know what this faith is about? So it would be easy to look at my grandmother and say she had a simple mind simple faith. She really didn't get into the scriptures. She just believes wholeheartedly what she's been taught by other men in a church setting, but not necessarily by what the Bible says. So she's got a faith that's based on other things, but the very baseline of the faith is that she believed that Christ died for her sin, and she knew she was a sinner. 
That's what she needed to know. Yeah. So, well, okay, not to interrupt you, but is grandma saved? Is exactly. she going to heaven? Yes. So, okay. Absolutely. So, okay. do they need to know it? Do they need to know? Why did God make the book? Why did it happen? What did he put all these words down here for you for? To ignore? No. So is is Mamma saved? Am I saying that because I love my Mamma and I don't want her to burn in hell? Or am I saying that because I believe that childlike faith is what it takes? A simple-minded faith is... is Christ said, yeah. unless you have the mind of a child, you'll never enter in. He says it. That's a very simple thing. So for the intellectual, which I've been taught by intellectuals, to say, man, you've got to be a kid if you're going to believe that. So yeah, that's going to be easy. It's like easy mind games for little kids. Unless you have the mind of a child, you're never going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what Christ said. Just allowing yourself to believe. I think, I, I think, I, I, I'm glad that we did this, and I'm glad that you said what you said earlier because about uh, teaching uh, religion and faith in schools, because I think. It, it's just just my opinion that um, I think it's very very important that if you have children and you believe a certain way and you want them to learn a certain way that you're the one responsible for teaching your children. And I think that many people that I know that are against teaching faith and things in school are afraid of what you said earlier. And and I agree with you. Children are prone to magical thinking. Yeah. Children are prone to believe the first thing they hear. And I think that we need to guard our children, and we can't stop them from hearing all the things that they hear, which is why with our 15-year-old, we talk to her about everything, and I got to tell you, most of the stuff we talk about is uncomfortable to talk about, but she's hearing this from kids. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, and half of mm-hmm. it is is garbage, and I'd rather Absolutely. hear— especially when you get to that age. It's, hey, but. Kids can reason pretty well at that age, mm-hmm. right? They but really I've known can. her since she was yeah. eight, and I've gra- and I've raised two kids. And the questions from when they're really little to as they grow up, I I I agree with the thought behind the fear. And Mike, I, I consider it fear. You're not wrong. Uh, that our kids are going to go learn things that we don't believe that we don't want them to learn because that may keep them from becoming the kind of human we want them to be. And kids generally believe the first thing they hear, which is why I think it's really important we're careful what we teach our children and that we start at home. Something that you will also see in a church is that children who get saved at a very young age, five, six, seven years old, have a tendency to wrestle with that for a long time. Some people, you'll see kids get saved four and five and six and seven times from the time they're five until they're in their teenage years, because they're as they're maturing, they're learning more about who they are. They're understanding more of the stuff that's going on inside them, and they try to. It's like they're and they're questioning. Re- more. They're questioning more, and they're recommitting their faith. That's why when my children were little, you know, I well, I didn't want to deny them of it, but at the same time, I didn't want to pressure them either. I didn't want them to feel like they had to do this in order to make Daddy love them. That's not what's required. But because some churches do put that kind of pressure on them, a child, will always go that way. But so, like in my household, I would never allow Santa Claus to give the kids great gifts. I didn't do it. I let them, they got the little tinker toys, like the wooden top with the string. That's what Santa got you. That's when I've heard from a, a lot of people. I think that's yeah. relatively common. Yeah. I feel yeah. like. Yeah. I like the fact that I didn't want my kids to think that you they know, got an elf toy. Yeah. Something an elf would make. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like Santa. 
Santa didn't make them that latest Samsung 65-inch TV with an Xbox, you know? Daddy worked his tail off to buy that for you for Christmas, and it was a surprise. You get in your room and watch it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't want to talk to you about the Bible. You go in there and watch Netflix. <laughs> you know, like... I actually like your way of thinking on on that because it, it, it helps bring more reality in, and it, asks, it brings kids to ask more questions earlier. Yeah. Uh, it was very simple because <laughs> my son asked me, he was like, so let me get this right. Satan is, n- or Santa, Satan, Santa is not real, but Jesus is, you know, and it's like, ooh, yeah, we have yeah. done the disservice yeah. to this child. Yeah. It's like, I want to answer the question. It's like, they're both real. <laughs> <laughs> can it be? You know, like, am I going to be the, the Easter one? Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy later. <laughs> is, yeah. Am I the one that's going to, you know, take out the childlike wonder? But I was like, actually, Santa is not real at all. We've been playing a trick on you since you were a child for fun. Did you have fun with that? And he was like, oh, you know, crying. I hope like, there isn't no no kid listeners out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> Santa is real. Hey, kids. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't think there's going to be any kids listening to this. I'm joke. just going to put that at the top. Hey, kids. <laughs> Santa's not real. <laughs> Welcome to and we're Rose asking everyone. We're asking I mean, everyone to think like a kid so they please, can believe. Yeah, please, we're in exactly, trouble. Yeah. Andy, please do that. That would be so great. Anyway, so I'm going to ask Ralph to read the account of the resurrection uh, in Luke's gospel. If you go to the previous podcast where we read Mark and then Matthew side by side, if you want, you can go back and listen to those again and then listen to this with Ralph or do it on your own. But when we get into the next uh, and final resurrection part, we're going to read the book of John, and then that's how we're going to begin the episode is read the book of John, and then we are going to break down all four gospels simultaneously so that you can see how it can be harmonized, and you can understand it. Now, there are some sticking points. There always, There's always going to be a sticking point with faith. That's part of it. There's always going to be a sticking point, okay? If I tell you that God created the earth, and someone else says there was a big bang, you're going to make a decision. You're going to make a decision. If God creates the earth, and he doesn't inject a moral law on you, you probably wouldn't have a problem with it. But because this God created the earth, he also has a moral law for you. And he also tells you that there's something wrong with you, whereas the Big Bang doesn't really tell you anything. It tells you that God created firecrackers, not the Chinese. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The the first and biggest. (laughs) Exactly. All right, Ralph. So the resurrection is uh, Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James, also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. 
and these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at that which had happened. So, put on your thinking cap. Can you remember anything from the last time, Billy? What did you pick up that was a little different this time? There wasn't no angel. It was two men. Yeah, there was just, it said two men. It didn't say no, nothing. And they about weren't no inside the tomb, they were outside the tomb. Yeah. And when the women came, they said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? That wasn't said in the other ones. Mm-mm. Was there another chick here? Yeah. Three. Uh huh. Joanna. Yep. Okay. So in this one, it was before it was Mary, Mary, and Joanna. Yeah. This one was too, but Luke makes sure that you understand there are other women as well. Yeah. And so now you've got this one. It's like this angel comes down, his face is like lightning, and he's got on this white suit, and he's like, blast the the stone off, bam, you know? <laughs> and then the guards fall down as dead, and like, you've got that one. Mm-hmm. Then you got the other one where they walk in, like there's a man sitting there, yeah. you know, in the tomb. I've, I had this thought, and I'm going to end the podcast on this thought, something I want you to, to kind of mull over. Have you guys ever been in an experience that was so mind-blowing that you, when you recollect it, it's like if you think about it, it's like it's almost like you weren't present, but you were present. Have you ever had those kind of moments no. when you're not high? Oh yeah, a lot, a lot of them. <laughs> I, I was going to say, good qualifier. <laughs> yeah, like you, if you're high, you know sometimes, and I have been. Like I had a moment. Um, you know, remember when the kids used to huff paint? <laughs> well, I huff Scotchgard. A buddy of mine was like, hey, man, huff the Scotch guard. You can't do it with the modern-day Scotch guard, by the way. It doesn't do it. But, but, but back in the day, you could get high. You could sit there and just breathe it in, whatever, and then, you know, you'd get high. Well, one night, the guys showed me how to do it. I figured out how to do it. And for whatever reason, I had no intention of quitting, and I was continuing on after long, after everybody else went to sleep. I'm up huffing by myself, right? And I looked. <laughs> I remember looking at the this clock. Remember the old alarm clocks with the red like oh, yeah. numbers yeah, the digital, on them, yeah. the digital. So it was like a brown wood, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. fake plastic Still wood alarm clock. Yeah, I got one too. Yeah. You have one? Oh, yeah. yeah, and it's got the red numbers, digital it's the numbers. the worst sound ever. Yeah. It works though. It's very oh, effective. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just remember getting high and I looked over at it and it said 111. One, what is it? Colon, one, one. And I was like, 111. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm like, my brain is fried, you know, and I'm like, a 111. Wow. And then I turned away from it. And it's almost like I was continuing on in thought. I was having all of these, like, I just, things just started happening, you know, and I felt like I'd been there for about an hour. And I turned around and I looked at the clock and it said, 111. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm stuck in time. I'm in hell. I'm stuck in time. And my, my brain was fried, man. It was so weird. And the only thing that happened was the next day, my lungs were like weatherproof. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Like, you know, that's the only thing that came out of that one. And the next week, Groundhog Day came out. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess my point is, is that the mind, whenever it encounters something that is supernatural or encounters a drug or encounters things, it has has a tendency to, it, it can't process the information that it's receiving. Okay. It just can't. And so we, re, we have memory though. We have mem like I have memories of all of that happening, but none of it was true yet. It's still embedded in my brain. 
so the effect of the human mind when it sees something that is super, supernatural, that is from the infinite versus the finite, it's very difficult to put into words. It's hard to understand what's going on. You're talking about angels. Has anyone in this room seen an angel before? Like a full-on lightning-faced angel floating down, blowing rocks off the side of a mountain angel? There have been a couple times where I, it, to me it looked akin to a ghost around somebody who I knew was dead, and it was just interesting to me. And it's funny, I've never told anybody that, but it's happened a couple of times where it just looked as though there was a ghost, maybe an angel, a ghost, I don't know what it was, around someone who had recently died. Right. And and it's funny because I've never told anybody that. I never thought anything of it. It just happened, and I'm like, okay. I never, I didn't dwell on it, but it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Have you ever seen an angel or anything supernatural, Billy? Um, not not while I was awake. I don't think. No, no. no. Um, I had a dream one night. My, my buddy come down and told me it wasn't his fault that he died. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't an angel. It was it was him. It was him. And like, and like I said, it, it, it was I was I was asleep. Um, but yeah, that no angels that I can think of. I yeah. Think, yeah. How about you, Billy? I mean, Billy. How about you, Andy? <laughs> I thought I was like, I just said it, man. <laughs> like I don't want to do like it I'm twice. Talk about <laughs> stuff in the time loop there. Right. Nicholas Cage. Um, but anyway. <laughs> if you listen to the last podcast, you'll find out that uh, Andy called you the eye candy of the group. The eye candy. Yes. Oh, wow. And the one with the sexy voice. The pretty one with the sexy voice. And he said it wasn't fair. Okay. <laughs> and, but, but hey, just so it's understood, Cherry thinks you're the hot one, too. Oh. I was like, that's listen. That's why she's not here. She's embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. I don't have a washboard stomach. <laughs> I've got more of like a. I uh, do. It's just underneath a couple pillows. <laughs> it's more of a. It's more of a. It's more of a tub washer. Yeah, it's like people are like, "Hey, man, has that dude got a six pack?" And it's like, "Nope, I got a party ball. <laughs> I got one big tall boy." So. <laughs> How about you, Andy? Have you ever seen anything a little supernatural? I once we had this house. It was a two story house when I was like a teenager, and. uh it had this one wall that didn't have a lot of windows on it. So there was like a minute where I was trying to learn to play tennis and I'd go out and just like hit tennis balls off that side of the house because it was a big enough piece of not window to kind of safely do it over there. And there's a second story window at the top of the staircase. And I saw what I assumed was my mom walk up there and wave at me and just go. And that was the whole thing. But my mom was not home. Just like absolutely, just for sure, hundred percent not home. That's the only time anything like that has ever happened to me. Yeah, it was odd. Yeah, but I didn't think anything of it because I just thought it was mom. You know. Yeah, but after the fact that mom wasn't there, did it ever? I was just like, well, that's weird. You know, I never put much thought into it because just the chances of me explaining that are pretty much zero. So at some point, you just go, yeah, that's odd. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I can't remember because I talk so much on this podcast. The Rick rant. I, yeah. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the time that I encountered what I believe to be an angel? Uh, you'll have to refresh. Yeah. Uh, the, about the man on the exit of the interstate? I don't think so. This one may be a newbie. <sighs> if I've told it, yeah, then, I don't recall. Uh, then we'll delete it. All right. So I'll, I'll make this really quick. I was working as a toolmaker down in Spartanburg. Oh, uh, so my neighbors have some fireworks left over oh, from the 4th of July, okay. and every once in a while, they just decide to light one off. Yeah, okay. I, I found sometimes they don't catch it. Uh, yeah. My chamber. 
<laughs> well, some. Uh, I wish they would get done with them already. <laughs> wow. For those listeners, you didn't hear the fireworks that we just heard, but it was incredibly loud right beside us. It sounded like something was I hitting inside of the building. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Angel. Angel. So, I was working <laughs> as a toolmaker down in South Carolina, and I was having to drive back and forth from Spartanburg, and I live in, you know, a little, a little town called Fletcher. And when I was driving back home one afternoon, and I had been studying the scriptures, and I had been really, you know, dealing with my faith. I still hadn't really converted, but I was reading a lot. You know, I was trying, I was, you know, soul searching. And I was getting off of what was then exit 13, which is now exit 44, the Fletcher Mountain Home exit. As I was getting off the exit, uh, there is there was an auto advantage that it's still there, but it was just built. You know, it hadn't been there very long. And when I'm getting off the interstate, there's a man that's sitting on a five-gallon bucket with a sign that says, going to California, need money and food. It was just a little, you know, cardboard sign. And he had these really thick Coke bottle glasses. He was sort of balding on the top. He had reddish brown hair. I can still see him. He was wearing a T-shirt. He was wearing white painter's pants. And he had boots on. And it was a very interesting guy. I just, I just looked at him and I thought, hmm. And anytime you see going to California, to me is I think of the Led Zeppelin song, or I also think of yep. the Grapes of Wrath, which like, you know, let's go to California. And that that's like, it's a horrible story, you know, when they're heading out West. But so something inside of me decides I'm going to go over here and ask this guy if he needs anything. So I walk over to him and I said, I see that you're traveling. I see that, you know, did you have need of anything? And, and I said, I don't have any money, right? I don't. And I didn't. I said, I don't have any money. And, you know, is there anything that you need in particular? And he looked at me and he says, I believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? And I was like, yes. Yes. Like, I'm, I'm definitely sold on this part of it. I'm like, yes. He was like, okay, good. And I was like, so you're, you're not in need of anything. And he was like, no. He said, I'm just traveling through. Thanks for stopping by. So I'm like, that was weird. So I get in my truck and I leave and I drive over to my house, which is not far from there, but it's, it's just bugging me. It's just driving me bananas, right? So I drive all the way back. I go, I get to my house. I get a um, sleeping bag. I get my lunchbox. I start making sandwiches. I get, unfortunately for the guy, I had caffeine-free diet Pepsi because I thought I was going to lose weight, you know, and get rid of my party ball. So I had all of these, you know, I, I just remember I packed all this and I told my wife, Kelly, at the time, I said, there is a homeless man. I went up to speak to him. And the first thing he said to me was that, I believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? I, said, I don't understand what that's all about. I was like, but I just feel compelled that I need to give this man something. I don't know why, but I'm just going to do it. So she was like, go for it. You know, whatever. So I... I think at the time it had been right, I might have given him my truck and go, you know, I don't know. It was just very powerful feeling. So I got all this stuff together and I drove up and I went across the interstate and I turned back around because of where that exit was. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. went across the bridge, turned back around, and then I pulled back over about where I was, which is on the exit lane, across from this wide exit lane. And so I grab all the stuff out of the back of the truck and I walk over to him and I've got the sleeping bag and I've got the lunchbox. And I set it down beside him and I said, I'm really sorry. I, I do not have any money. I don't. But what I do have is this sleeping bag to keep you warm on your travels. And I've got a lunchbox full of food. This should carry you for another three or four days if you ration it right. You know, it can get you out there. 
And he, w- he just looked at me and he was like, that is so kind of you to do that for me. And I was like, well, you know, I just hope that you have a safe trip. And he was like, well, I really appreciate that. And he goes, thank you, brother. And I was like, you're welcome. And so I just, I said, have a great night. And I turned around and I started walking across the, the exit. I got about a quarter, like maybe about a halfway across, not quite half. I can't say half because it wasn't halfway across, but almost halfway across. And I thought, I'm going to tell this guy I love him. And I turned around and he was gone. And so was all of my stuff. And so was the five-gallon bucket. And so was the sign and the man. And there was nothing there. Nothing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I do not believe in hubbub, hubbaloo, junk stuff. I do not make this up. I do not lie about about these kinds of things. I do believe in malarkey, but only if it's coming off of my foot after I stepped in it. No, but in all reality, this is an accurate, truthful thing that oh, happened dude, to I me. Oh, dude, I believe you. Yeah. yeah. It I mean, happened. Yeah, yeah. I thought that's what you were going to say when you got to the end of it. And I turned around and he was gone. I'm like, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I thought that's what you were going to say. I didn't know that was going to happen. But all I know is that physically, the things that I had brought that were matter, it was matter. Mm-hmm. And whether it's scientific or faith-based or whatever, it was matter, Okay. I didn't have I I wasn't huffing Scotchgard that day, okay. so I wasn't having like any long periods of time. I wasn't, and yeah. so I I literally turned around within just seconds. That dude would have had to have dead sprinted underneath or got into a car or something. Nothing, none yeah. of that happened. Yeah. He was gone. So it really messed with my head. Like it really messed with my head. Like I went in a home positive I, way or negative way, like. I didn't understand why all that took place. It, it. I was like, I must be crazy. It doesn't make any sense. The, it just the time doesn't make sense. I must have had a stroke, or who knows? Like, I don't know what what caused me to pause in that little moment where that happened. And was it one eleven? <laughs> it was four twenty. It was four twenty. Doobie time. <laughs> no, but I mean, it was just really weird. And so I had. Um, that weekend I, I went to church and I had a talk with my pastor and explained it to him and he opened the scripture and he said, uh, that it says in the book of Hebrews, what it says that you can entertain angels unaware. So it means be careful. It, it, the things that you do, you could be entertaining angels and you're not even aware of it. And I'd never thought of that before. I never have, but it's, Guys, it actually really did happen to me. So, you know, was it an alien that needed my, you know, bedroll, caffeine-free diet, yeah. diet, diet Pepsi? Pepsi? Yeah. He was like, as soon as he drank it, he was like, oh, that's all. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> he was gone. You know, everything disappeared. Tastes like crap. I'm going back to the. Wow, joke time! All right, have you guys I, uh, brought any? First of all, I gotta say, another vest. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, oh yeah, we discussed that. Yeah, that's right. Vest Tuesday. It, yeah. No, it's vest every day. <laughs> Until right. I get rid of the fat belly. Until I become the eye candy. Eye candy. Maybe I should buy a vest. <laughs> Maybe that eye candy's a whopper. My general yes. manager. <laughs> <laughs> my general manager. He, we're interviewing people. We're hiring people at the shop. And my general manager has been like doing a lot of research on like the best way to interview a candidate, you know? And it's like, I hope he understands that the labor pool stinks so bad that I'm just going to hire whoever comes yeah, in the door. Yeah. I mean, that's just what it is right yeah, now. Yeah. Hopefully we can train this person. But he, so, 
<laughs> yesterday, he interviews this young woman and, you know, she's just trying to get a job. You know, these aren't very expensive wage jobs, you know, so she's just trying to get a job. And so his final question, he looks at her and he goes, how many jelly beans can you fit into a suitcase? And so it's supposed to be designed to where you say, well, what kind of jelly beans? Or how big is the suitcase? Or, you know, like that. They want you to answer that question that way. So the candidate says, oh, I've heard this. I know this one. 750,000. <laughs> <laughs> so he hires her after the whole thing. And I asked him, I was like, didn't she disqualify herself with the answer of 750,000? <laughs> like, seems like a lot of jelly beans. <laughs> but just like that was the answer. But it was a question to field the candidate, and yeah. he hired her anyway. You know, yeah. that's yeah. the funny. So today, here's just to show she's in her mid 20s, that girl that answered the question. Today, we interviewed a guy who's 73. And so. <laughs> So the manager asked him, this is real. Like, this happened today. He goes, well, I have one question for you. It's in a little bit serious. And the guy's like, okay, shoot. And he goes, and remember, he's 73. He's retired. He's just wanting to make a few extra yeah, bucks here yeah, and there. Yeah. He can make up to $18,999 a year, and then it cuts off. And no more. Okay. No yeah. more. And so that's what he's going to work. He goes, how many jelly beans can you fit in a suitcase? And that guy literally says, and beep it, Andy, I don't effing know. <laughs> that was a self-beep. We're good. I self-beeped it, but he literally. <laughs> That's funny. I was like, does you're he, hired. Does he start tomorrow? He starts <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> he sure does. Anyway, funny. joke of the That's day. That's hilarious. I've been waiting to tell this joke for a week. Okay. And then we're going to wrap it up. How about that? All right. So this preacher is walking down the or driving down the road, and he sees this sign on this barn that says Christian horse for sale. So he's like, Christian horse? Huh. So he pulls over, and this farmer's standing there, and he goes up to the man. He goes, sir, I saw the sign back there that says Christian horse. I, I'm, I'm not really following what you're saying. He goes, yeah, it's a Christian horse. He goes, well, what makes him Christian? He says, it's really easy. He said, if you climb up on that horse and you say, praise the Lord— He'll do a little walk. He said, if you say, praise the Lord again, he said, he'll do a little trot. And if you say, praise the Lord one more time, he'll get into a flat gallop. He goes, all right. And he said, and all you got to do, if you want to stop that horse, is say, amen. So the preacher's like, well, do you mind if I give him a test ride? And he goes, have at it. So he gets up on that horse and he gets himself settled and he says, praise the Lord. That horse starts to walk in just a little bit. And then he says, praise the Lord. That horse starts to trot. Right? He's just going along. And then he's like, praise the Lord. That horse just takes off at a gallop. And now I'm telling you that preacher's having a time that horse is flying. And suddenly he realizes there's a cliff up ahead and he's about to fall off of it. And so he's freaking out. And he's like, what's the word? How do I stop this stinking horse? What am I saying? Oh, yeah. Amen. The horse stops right on the edge of the cliff. And you know the sight, like the little tiny stone, little pebbles fly off the edge. Oh, you know, yeah. oh yeah. So the preacher's like, praise the Lord. Geronimo. That's a step up from the last yeah, couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I like that one. So that's good. I also, uh, before we go, I, I got to uh, 
say your Forrest Gump is spot on. Was it good? Yeah, I don't know if you if that's a compliment or not, but your Forrest Gump <laughs> is spot on. It's and a the little fa- too good. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that his baby mama was a Jenny just 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 all <laughs> oh, it all ties together. Yeah, it all yeah. ties together. So I love it. Yeah, but uh, but anyway, so but that's it. That's all I got. Very good. All right. Well. Thanks, you guys, Ralph, Billy, Andy. Thanks uh, this week. Uh, let's see. Next week is, I don't know if we're off or we're doing a side study, but I don't think we can get together again for like four weeks. Is that right, Andy? Uh, well, uh, next week is, I'm here. It's the 17th. Yeah, so that's the next time we were all supposed to get together. Okay. So, so it's going to be a month. Okay. It's going to be a okay. month before we get back together. However, we when we get back all together in one room, we're doing the. We're doing the one. We're doing the one. The one. The uh-huh. one with the uh-huh. one we've been all been waiting for. All about donkey genitals. Can't wait. <laughs> Join us next time on <laughs> the, the burrows of Berea. For the record, Ralph is shaking his head no and rubbing his eyes. I'd really like to hear your your donkey again. Oh, a good one. A good one. Let's hear it. All right. Let's see. Is that better? That's good. Is that better? Can I you think do that's a, how we go out. Right can you there. do a flying squirrel? Not a flying squirrel. Maybe a chicken. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. This is an entirely new podcast. Out. Just let me know when we're rolling. We're rolling. Does everybody got wood? If you don't, go to Woodpecker Sawmill in Mills River, North Carolina. Oh, it must be a good year for you guys, yeah. huh? Jeez. I'm telling you what, the they got some money wood. for wood right now. I mean, oh, it's going yeah. down, but still. It's actually bad for him, right? Well, it doesn't affect us. It doesn't. So, where we sell straight to the public, we don't uh we we don't have dry kiln lumber or we just do like chicken house lumber or siding so as long as my log prices stay i can keep those down and get logs i don't mess with the lumber prices so oh, wow well, i'm still good. i'm still like a fourth of the cost of everyone else mm-hmm. but you can't use my lumber for framing or anything you can just use it for cosmetic or you know like i said a chicken house or a, a shed or, or a pole shed or something like that but We're, not on the side of a house you can on as a siding as siding yeah 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 so but but like Ours is still green, which means it's fresh. It hasn't been dried, right? You know, so it will shrink a little bit. But so anyway, yep. So we don't we don't care if it goes up or down or or whatever. So That's our big, our biggest thing is pallets. Anyway, eighty percent of our business is oh, really? pallets, wooden pallets. Yeah. So, so yeah, but, but the price of logs hasn't changed that much. Not for us. No, huh. no. It's it's not a log issue. Is is the the rising cost of lumber? It's, it's because lumberjacks don't get COVID. <laughs> We keep on logging. So, <laughs> That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, so, but apparently he has shrinkage. <laughs> you do have shrinkage. Aww. And there's where you start. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs>